Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerize. Back with me is uh, my friend Jacob Resnick from Metsmerize, Mets Miners. How's it going, buddy? Doing well. Glad to be back. And uh, hopefully our last episode of 2019 is, uh, is a good one. Oh, see, yes, indeed. We hope so. All right. Well, um, the Mets shored up a pretty big, uh, I guess, a pretty big gap on their roster. Um, certainly a big reinforcement when they signed uh, Dylan Betantis to uh, to a free agent deal. It's a uh, one-year deal with a, I guess, one-year player option and then a vesting option the following season. Yeah. Um, I guess the way they worked it out as far as um, salary and signing bonus and what have you, uh, I guess it works for everybody involved. Uh, Betantis still gets some guaranteed money. He gets a chance to prove himself again. Um, what are your thoughts on the deal? Uh, well, I mean, it was certainly a uh, nice Christmas Eve surprise for Mets fans. Uh, kind of, I mean, it kind of felt like it was uh, bound to happen. It was reported that he was um, that he wanted to play for the Mets. Uh, obviously, a native New Yorker, um, not just a native New Yorker, a native New York City guy. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be exciting to uh, to see him in the orange and blue. Um, and you know, you know, if he if he's healthy, which he was not last year, except for two batters faced. Um, if he's healthy, then, you know, this is one of the best relievers in baseball. Um, so I think it's a, considering the, the, the money, it's a very uh, low risk, extreme high reward kind of move. Um, and it, it's a good situation for him because he's motivated to prove that he is healthy. Um, and it's unlikely unless something catastrophic happens um, that he, is back in in uh, in 2021 on the current deal with the option that that was worked into the the contract. Um, so he's gonna be, if he proves he's healthy, he'll get paid next offseason, which I'm sure he's looking forward to doing because uh, he'll be 30 he'll be 33 in 2021, having made less than 20 million dollars in his career, and considering he's one of uh, or he's been one of the best at his position over the past half decade, and that's even with. Uh, just two batters faced in, in 2019. So, um, you know, but, but between an expected bounce back from him, an expected bounce back from Diaz, and we'll get into that a little later when we talk about um, some of the Zips projections, but um, between Batanzas, uh, Diaz, and, and you hope Familia um, is back to back to his old self, um, combined with Lugo, who, who uh, uh, emerged as one of the top options in baseball. Uh, you know, able to, to work multiple days, go multiple innings at a time. Um, it, it's starting to look like the the back end of, of the bullpen is, is um, going to be a strength unlike uh, last season. Well, yeah, I think um, in, in one one fail swoop, bringing in Batances, it kind of, uh, it, it really, it put that, that bullpen over the top and when you look at it from top to bottom now um even from the lower level guys like Robert Gazelman and Brad Brock and uh and Michael Walker wherever he might fit into the plans this year and I think Zamora is going to get more of a chance I really like that slider um yeah of course you have to kind of hope for um upswing and reverting back to form from the guys like Diaz and Familia but um between Wilson and Lugo and yeah this uh what was once such a weakness has now become a strength, it appears, at least on paper. 
And uh, for someone like Batantes, the way the stars did align where uh, no one was going to give him a, a, a long-term deal now, um, like you said, he's looking to make uh, at least uh, maximize his earning potential. Um, this works out for everybody. Hopefully we're going to get him in, in top form and fully motivated and uh, fingers crossed he likes it here and maybe we, we bring him back to solidify the bullpen because we still have a, a, a nice young core of um, – uh, between Diaz and, and I wouldn't classify Lugo as necessarily young, even though he's not old, but uh, it feels like he's been here for a while. <laughs> young and experienced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got, uh, you know, what is he, 28, 27? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, this is, um, you know, there's a foundation in place. Um, I, I do want to move on to the Zips projections. And, uh, again, I, personally, I, I don't take projections it, with – much more than a grain of salt, but um, these have me somewhat excited. Uh, Jacob, uh, any insight? I know Dan Zimbrowski from from Fangraphs put a lot of time uh, every year into putting these together, and uh, they they shown a very encu- encouraging light on, on the Mets. What are you, what are your what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's interesting to look at, and I, I think with all the the projection. Uh, systems, you kind of have to look at how they're calculated, what years of the player's career they value the most, how they're weighted. Um, but the Zips projections seem to be one of uh, the most uh, highly valued year in, year out. Uh, I mean, between uh, Pete Alonso at 4.1 projected war, McNeil at 4, and Conforto at 3.8, which will round up to 4. I mean, having three, um, three young, controllable uh, hitters uh, projected to put up uh, four war apiece. I mean, that's that's an impressive core to have. And then um, the next two guys on the list, when you go down, is Rosario at 2.3 projected war, Brendan Nimmo at two projected war. And, and honestly, I think those projections are, are a little light uh, considering what we saw from Rosario at the end of the year. And I'm sure you'd agree with me on that. Um, and uh, Brendan Nimmo obviously missing a lot of time last year. And, you know, not that. Um, the, I, I don't like to per- personify, uh, projection systems, but, um, the, the Zips probably, uh, is, is forgetting a little bit what he did in 2018. And that's, uh, you know, can't be discounted. And, uh, Nemo obviously showed when he was healthy last year that he's, um, you know, one of the best on base machines in baseball. So definitely lots of like on the offensive side. Oh, for sure. And, you know, um, it's not to say that projections aren't um, don't have value because they do, and they, and I just always found that they kind of lean towards the safe side, and that, and that's a good bet because you have to take last year into account, and if a guy had a down year, uh, uh, an injury plagued year, whatever the case may be, uh, that that certainly has to come into effect. You can't you know make such bold predictions when it's um, especially when it's a formulated thing, but. Um, I, I do feel that Nimmo and, and Rosario and even guys like Davis, who um, where is the big question mark, but I do see him getting a regular playing time and his bat's going to make, I think, just a, a similar level of, uh, of impact that he did in 2019. Um, I, I mean, I'd like to say that, yeah, Conforto's going to bloom into that four-win player and um, it looks like he's really coming into his own as far as uh, putting the ball in all fields, it, it you don't want to say that he he abandoned average for power because he still has respectable lines, but um, 
I think he really does have the chance to take a, a much bigger step than just shade below four wins this year. Uh, of course, we'll have to see, but um, yeah, I, you know me. I'm optimistic, and I, I have very high hopes for this uh, for this roster. On the pitching side, at least in the rotation, I feel that Stroman um, has a much higher uh, – I, I guess I, I think he's on the path to a much higher projection than than Zips has him at. i got to pull it back up here. I moved up to the batters. I got him at, what, 2.7? Yeah. Yeah, that's – um. You know, I, I think if he has the season he had and if he gets the results out of his secondary pitches and um, the effectiveness out of his sinker that he was getting towards the end of last year, uh, his cutter, my, my, my apologies. Um, oh, what was he using? He was using a cutter at the end of the year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really think that, that, that he has the potential to, um, to really take a, another big step forward. I mean, he's going into a contract year. Um, I like Steven Matz. I love what he did at the end of last season. Uh, I think that he has the ability to take a big step this year. I think there's a lot of, um, I guess, in addition to the progress that was made, there's still a lot of room for improvement. And I think the trajectory on a lot of these, on a lot of this roster is, uh, is going to take this team right to the cusp. Um, I don't think Brody should be done yet regarding maybe adding another bullpen piece, maybe adding a, a more, uh, defensively capable. Oh, well, I, I don't want to call uh, Nito defensively incapable, but um, someone with more of an offensive profile to him. Maybe a Jason Castro. I know Mike Mayer's been been uh, been pulling that that horn for a while. Uh, yeah, it's it's you know Brody Van Wagenen. He made a big thing about no more ifs last year, but if everything works out. Uh, right with regards to that continued progress, the returns to prominence for Diaz and Familia, um, a renewed dedication, kind of a new motivation under Carlos Beltran, and uh, the excitement of Steve Cohen coming in. You know, this Mets team could be looking at a, a, a magical start to these roaring 2020s, uh, if you will. Um, I, I guess we're, we're jumping ahead of Zip's projections, but Jacob, as far as where this roster is at right now, are you know, do you think that these Mets can compete with the Nationals and the Braves and the Phillies and and the other powerhouses in the NL East and come out, uh, you know, in October with a, a head full of steam? Um, man, I mean, if if they are guaranteed 100% health from everyone on the roster, then yes, on paper they look very good. The lineup looks very good. The rotation looks very good. The bullpen looks very good. I'm scared about the bench. Uh, outside of Dominic Smith, I don't really trust uh, anyone uh, on the projected bench to to produce uh, at a at a competent level. Uh, and uh, the the bullpen depth still still scares me. Uh, you know, you're one injury or two injuries away from from the same guys you were running out last year uh, from having uh, significant roles in in the bullpen. Um, and the rotation as well uh, is just not depth anywhere. And I think uh, in, in January we, last year, we saw a lot of uh, minor league signings, those veterans that came in, uh, the Rajay Davis, the Gregor Blancos, the you know Luis Avalon, who ended up uh, being on the roster the entire season. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see a lot of those guys come in, maybe some optionable depth, uh, which isn't easy to find. 
uh, per se, but, uh, you know, the, the, the JD Davis and Walker Lockett trades last January were made with that in mind, even though Davis never was option to the minor leagues. You bring in, uh, guys with options, uh, just to add flexibility to the roster. Um, but right now, you know, the roster resource, uh, on fan graphs projects, uh, the bench to be comprised of Dominic Smith, Jake Marisnik, Jed Lowry, Luis Guillorme, and Tomas Nito. And outside of Dominic Smith, I mean, none of those guys have, have really shown any um, offensive capabilities recently. Obviously, Lowry was an all-star two years ago, but, uh, you know, nine plate appearances last year. I mean, I'm, I'm not really expecting anything from him. So uh, depth is certainly a, a priority right now, and, and I'd expect them to make a lot of moves with, with that in mind. Um, but, I mean, just getting back to, to the Zips projections for a second, um, the really interesting thing that, that I – uh, noted was uh, two guys right next to each other in in projected war. That's Rick Porcello at 1.6 and David Peterson at 1.5. And in terms of minor league pitching, starting pitching depth uh, in the upper minors, Peterson is probably the guy to get excited about. After Anthony Kay was moved, Peterson is 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 pretty much the closest prospect to the major leagues right now. And uh, Zips is, is pretty high on what Peterson could. Potentially bring to the majors a three eight two fifth compared to Porcello's four two seven. Uh, you know Peterson is not going to really wow you with stuff, but he pitches to to contact, keeps the ball on the ground at an insane rate. Uh, his ex fifth in in Double A last year was was one of the best uh, in all of the the upper minors. Uh, he was he was surrounded by by top one hundred prospects on on in that metric. So. Uh, be interesting to see if, if Peterson is, is kind of ready to contribute from the jump. I, I don't think he's a guy that really needs uh, a lot of either AAA seasoning or, or major league run to kind of get comfortable uh, in that role. I, I think he'll he'll kind of be able to go from the jump. And, and if uh, you know if they do end up moving someone like Matt, yeah, uh, Peterson will be be the next man up. Now, wouldn't you? I mean, I've heard the, the I guess the the rumors of Matt's being moved. Wouldn't that subtract from this team? In in I mean, in just about any case, wouldn't taking away from an already depleted rotation in Wheeler, um, taking away Matt's, who at least in my mind has the potential and the the stuff to maybe not be Zach Wheeler, but certainly fill that role capably. And I know that everyone's tabbing Stroman as Wheeler's replacement, but that's irresponsible. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, if you're going to bring in Porcello and Waka as options in the fifth spot, naturally Stroman moves into the third. He's been a an elite guy in this league um, at times over his career. I think that Matt's is going to be a very important piece to this rotation. Um I mean, unless you're packaging him and prospects to Pittsburgh for uh, Marte and uh, um, and an archer, I, I don't see subtracting Mets as an addition to a win-now mentality that it appears that Mets have and that they have the talent to, to kind of back it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I, you know, I just have, uh, have to kind of respond to what, what is kind of being floated that the Mets are maybe looking at moving a Stroman or a Mets? It doesn't really make sense. I'm sure they're just kind of kicking the tires on, 
on uh, you know the gauging interest and in, in what might be there at the deadline, uh, considering Stroman will be a free agent after after this upcoming season and, and Matt's is, uh, I believe, two more years of, of team control. So I, it wouldn't really make sense to move any of the guys. I think maybe um, considering you did bring in Waka and Porcello, if maybe if you can get a, a, a good bench piece uh, in exchange for Matt's, I think you might have to do that. Um, I just don't really see maybe as much as you do the upside on Matt's. Uh, I don't really see him as being – uh, more than a four, a number four starter, even if Stroman is, is, uh, you know, w- even without Stroman in the rotation in, in future years. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't see them moving that, uh, but can't really blame them for gauging interest there. I don't know, man. I, I guess I, I've been with you. At least I hear you on the inconsistencies of Matt's. Um, we've all been waiting for him to kind of come into his own as that former, you know, top draft pick and, and all that good stuff. But um, he held hitters to a sub-300 weighted on base average last, se- uh, last in the second half last season. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, that's, that's promising because he did have his – maybe there was one or two starts in the second half where he just imploded. And um, other than that, though, I mean, he really looked comfortable. He looked in control. He looked confident, which has been such a hurdle for him to cry, to, to, to jump over at times. Um, yeah, you know, again, this, I'll probably chalk this up to my just <laughs> unwavering optimism <laughs> regarding this roster, but I, I do it's see. Refreshing. It's refreshing. I, I hope so. <laughs> it's not a shtick. I promise everybody. It's not a <laughs> shtick. I really do think that this team is going to, uh, it, it's, you know, it's got the potential to do some damage and, um, I just wish that they would really put forth the commitment. I know it's a cash-strapped time for this organization, but, um, boy, if this isn't the time – I know we've talked about this too, and if this isn't the time to go over the competitive balance tax threshold, I don't know when it's. You have all this talent. You know, you have all this inexpensive talent. You have a couple of albatrosses, and, um, hey, if Cespedes actually does contribute to this roster this year, great, fantastic. But if he doesn't – that's still a big hole in projected production. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> projected production. Oh, I see it now. I can't say it. Um, you just, I'm still at a loss as to where, um, I guess where the where the shortcomings are going to be made up. And you can't if I'm Brody Van Wagenen, if or if I'm the Wilpons, who's money roll, who's bankroll in this thing. Um, I can't be confident that, uh, you know, you're counting on Jeff McNeil to continue his stratospheric trajectory. You're counting on Michael Conforto to take that next step. You're counting on Rosario to uh, truly shake off the slow start to his career and continue his path. Um, Cano to make up for, I don't want to say a lost 2019 because he was effective in the second half, but um, it's a lot of ifs. And to come out and say all this, oh, no more ifs, Granted, if all these ifs work out, this could be an exciting year. But, boy, you have to wonder, you know, if there's something still cooking on the hot stove for the Mets because they're so close in my eyes. They really are. Like you were saying, a little bit more depth, and this could be a contending team. Um, The Braves made a lot of good additions. Um, The Nationals really haven't done much, but I don't foresee them – 
being done. Um, you know, and they're a talented team to begin with. So, you know, there's going to be – I think it's going to be a dogfight, and I think the Mets are too close to sit back and, and hope. That, I guess that was my uh, <laughs> that was my general idea there. And I think there's one move that puts them over the top, and it's pretty clear right now. You give four years and whatever Josh Donaldson wants, you bring him in. There's a good amount of money coming off the books next year and in the future. And if they're willing to go over, over the tax this year, which, I mean, like you, you said, there's no reason they, they shouldn't go over the tax uh, because it's being treated in the media as a cap. There is no cap. Uh, you know, every owner in baseball is, is able to afford whatever penalties uh, are associated with it. So bring Josh Donaldson in. That puts them over the top. That makes their lineup probably one of the best in baseball. Um, and you have them under under contract for three years after this year. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. And I think uh, that, that might be more of a pipe dream, but he's the big fish remaining. And, and I, I wouldn't put it past Brody Van Wagenen. Not expecting it. Not expecting it. But it'd be a nice surprise. Oh, it'd be huge. I mean, I, I, no one's really produced like Donaldson so consistently. And he, I think he had one off year, but uh, he dealt with some injuries. But he's a, yeah, he's an MVP, MVP caliber player, I should say. And, uh, it fills a hole at third base and you can move McNeil into left field pretty much primarily, I would assume. Um, it gives you that depth in Davis to put anywhere if Cespedes is healthy. That is one powerful bat off the bench. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it would certainly keep his uh, his incentives low low enough to keep his salary within reason, or at least within um, within reason for a, a, I guess a, a bench player at that point. But um, like I said, the pieces are here. Uh, that would be the it would be quite the, the the move to tie everything together. I'll give you that much. Um, they would certainly need to, and I'm going to quote Brody again: "Get creative to make <laughs> uh, to make his 2020 salary fit into things." But yeah, if they're willing to just go over that, I guess that first level, that first threshold of the uh, of the luxury tax, um, yeah, it's you know it comes out to uh, it's, it's easy when it's not your money, but it comes out to peanuts. You go 10 million over, it's like a two million dollar tax or something to that effect. Um, it's you know, really all all you have to do is backload the contract. Honestly, I mean, uh, our our friend Christopher Soto has them currently about fourteen and a half million before hitting that luxury tax line. So if you, uh, you know, fit that salary into that space and then and then backload everything else, um, uh, definitely could work. Whether he's willing to, and I I think the the important thing to when you're looking at that situation is that by all reports it sounds like it's it's down to Washington and Atlanta and uh, for Donaldson, and if he goes to one of those teams, it obviously makes things uh, a little tougher for the Mets in the division. Uh, it feels like whoever he goes to kind of is is the team to beat uh, in the division. So uh, it, it'd be interesting to see if they kind of let that one go by, and they probably will. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the move that that makes them the 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 come and get us team of, of 2020. Oh, I think that would um. That would send us and every Mets fan from here to, you know, from here to, to wherever, just over the moon. Um, I mean, cause that's, 
that's such a reinforcement. But yeah, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> before we get into our, I guess I have a little decade wrap up. Um, Jacob, what can we look forward to from the minor leaguers this year? I know you talked about David Peterson a bit um, with Blake Taylor out of the organization. I guess the Mets certainly have uh, question marks as to who's who's next or who's close. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, who should we be looking for when it comes to the minor league side of things? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw the other day, I, I uh, put together a little highlight video of Mark Vientos and, and threw that up on, on Twitter um, of some of his home runs from, from 2019 with Columbia. I really think he has the potential to be a, a top 100 guy by the end of next season, uh, considering he was just 19, hit 12 home runs uh, for Columbia. Um, and I went into some of the data, and Columbia uh, in the South Atlantic League, one of the worst parks for hitters in all of the minor leagues. Um, and his his splits between between the home and road, uh, he was hitting balls just as hard and just as far. Um, the results at home just weren't there because that park is absolutely huge. Um, so I think he gets up to, to St. Lucie. I think he uh, absolutely mashes. Um, could push for for uh, you know over 15 home runs, and uh, we're looking at him being uh, potentially going to 2021 a top 100 prospect. And uh, Ronnie Mauricio should be in that lineup as well. And I've said it in the past: if there is uh, one guy in the Mets system who could make a uh, Juan Soto type trek up through the levels of the minor leagues in one season, I think it's him. Not saying that's going to happen, and I don't think the tools have really. Uh, Manifested themselves in game yet, uh, but 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 the, the potential on Mauricio is really tantalizing, and I think uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what he does in St. Lucie. Um, and then after below that, you know, it'll be fun to see guys like Brett Beatty and Matt Allen should be uh, starting in full season ball in Columbia. Um, it'll be nice to to get all their games on film on MILB TV and see what they're up to. Allen obviously has tons of potential. And uh, Beatty, really refined tools for for someone of his age. Um, obviously, he was a little older for for his high school class. Um, lots of power to all fields. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Maybe Francisco Alvarez even joins them. I'm not expecting him to start in Columbia, perhaps uh, Brooklyn, and then uh, promotion late in the season, maybe. Uh, but Francisco Alvarez is a guy that that lots are are starting to get on to uh, catcher. Uh, definitely welcome to have a, a top catching prospect in the organization. And then you look at the draft next year. Obviously, this past season, the Mets were, were praised for what they did in the draft and, and should be even better this year considering uh, they'll have four top 100 picks uh, or thereabouts considering they got the uh, compensation draft pick for losing Zach Wheeler to the Phillies. Uh, so, be interesting to see what they do there. And, you know, system is starting to come together. And it's kind of full of guys who were uh, not stuck, but who were all kind of in the low minors and uh, just waiting to, uh, I guess, get their, their tools to show up and, and, and progress through the system. Um, and now we're starting to see guys like David Peterson and Andres Jimenez start to push for AAA. They'll be there next year uh, and, and potentially start contributing. Uh, at the major league level, so lots of guys to be interested interested in to follow. Um, definitely not one of the top systems in in baseball, but it, it's definitely looking better than than it did a year ago at this time. 
Yeah, it sounds like there's some gems in there. That's for sure. Um, between Maurizio and um, – I'm very excited to see what Jimenez does um, healthy again. Um, he had a very strong finish to the year last year between the last, I guess, few weeks of uh, his regular season and then his outstanding uh, Arizona Fall League. Um, I'm certainly excited to see what he does. I was going to ask regarding um, ta, 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 uh, Maurizio. Do you see him, if he really explodes um, in St. Lucie, do you see him moving along to double-A at any point this season or just kind of let him bloom? It's certainly possible. I think, um, you know, this past season they were very set on letting him just stay in Columbia the whole season, really, no matter what he did. Um, and, you know, he showed his his inexperience at times, but there's certainly a lot to like and impressive power, and he hasn't even filled out yet. Um, so I, it's definitely possible. I think, um, like I said, this upcoming year is kind of the year that he takes the – the next step in establishing himself as one of the top prospects in, in baseball. And uh, he, I mean, he's definitely has top, uh, you know, I don't know how high I want to go, at least top 50 uh, you know, potential at, in terms of uh, prospects in all of baseball. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely possible. We'll see him in, in Binghamton by the end of the year. I think it was, um, you know, Jimenez was on the same track when he started in St. Lucie, saw Binghamton by the end of the year. That was 2018, which was his um, second full season uh, playing in, in the system uh, or in full season ball. Uh, he was, you know, same thing, Columbia, all of his first full season, and then um, started in St. Lucie his second year, ended up in Binghamton by the end of the year. And then his third year this past year, he was uh, full-time in Binghamton. So I think it, it'll be – Definitely excited to see kind of what track Mauricio's on. Um, I mean, he's definitely the kind of guy that you want to not push before he's ready, but you want to uh, kind of not let him stall out at any one level. You want to constantly be be pushing him and uh, testing him against uh, older and better competition. Well, yeah, I guess uh, what I, I what I guess what brought the question in my mind was thinking about Jimenez and his jump to to, to, to Binghamton. Um, I, I guess. Like you were saying, you hate to fast track prospects. Um, I guess we had a we had a fast track candidate in in Kalanick. Um Do you see Allen or or Beatty or anybody? I guess of the newer breed of of, of Mets prospects of Mets um, farmhands. I guess easing themselves onto that fast track. Like, is there enough talent there? Well, these guys are going to be making considerably quick jumps between levels and. Um, you know, with that type of impact? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of pitchers, uh, I, I've, I'm always really against pushing guys uh, faster than, than they need because um, just by the nature of their position, they just need a lot of time to settle in uh, and, and kind of get comfortable in a level. And, and you don't really want to push a guy until he's shown that he's consistently dominated a level. I mean, even, um, you know, Simeon Woods Richardson uh, last season was dominating Columbia at uh, 18 uh, years old, and he uh, didn't didn't even or they they weren't going to promote him to St. Lucie until uh, actually right before he was traded. They actually did promote him to St. Lucie, uh, and then right before he was supposed to make his his debut there, he was traded. But 
Um, so yeah, you, you need to give guys time, and, and I don't think uh, you know pushing someone like Allen faster than than he needs is really the smart way. But uh, someone like Beatty is, is a, a very advanced hitter for his age, uh, and you know I think uh, he's he's definitely the guy that that uh, you know you, you you'll see start to progress a little faster than usual, maybe because he's uh, like I said before, great power. Um, you know, maybe if if his glove isn't where you'd like it to be, you put him at first, and he'll he could maybe make a uh, a faster rise through the minors that way. Um, but you do have someone like Vientos a level ahead of him, so at the same position, you don't really want to uh, kind of mess with any of their consistent playing time. Um, and then in terms of Mauricio with with Jimenez ahead of him, that'll be interesting. You start to see guys get. Uh, time at different positions. Ahmedes has played some second base. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Mauricio uh, could handle third or second, or maybe even put him in a corner outfield spot. Uh, I think he's he's perfectly fine at shortstop, but it, it's it's something you could try out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the fast track. Uh, I mean, we've seen guys like uh, Fernando Martinez, for those who remember, who who kind of rose through the system a little faster than than he probably needed. Uh, so. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I see things. Oh, our sweet F Mart. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll always uh, yeah, we'll always. I think I'm still personally in my heart. I'm still waiting for him to to really bust out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I guess you know there's talent here, and like I guess like I said earlier, there's gems in this system. And is the depth there? No, certainly not. But there's certainly a lot to look forward to on the minors side, and um. You know, it, I guess inner system or interest system competition is is such a cool aspect of minor league baseball. But uh, yeah, well, we can we can get onto the minor league baseball track and stay there for a while. But uh, <laughs> let's we'll move on. Uh, it's the end of the decade. The the 2010s are about to close up. We're recording this on Sunday, uh, just afternoon. So um, Jacob, I, I know we're gonna have a. I guess a small list of our, our top five Mets moments or storylines of the decade. Um, this is how I'm going to format it. We're going to throw out two honorable mentions and then we're going to go back and forth on, uh, on our top three, not necessarily in an order, but, um, I'm sure there's going to be some overlap. So let's just, we're going to discuss, we'll say what they mean to us, whatever the case may be. So, uh, please kick us off, Jacob. What do you have any honorable mentions guys that were right there, but didn't quite make your list? Um, hmm, all right, let's go to the list. Um, I think an honorable mention for me, um, uh, probably an underrated one is kind of the, the 2014 season for the Mets, which was right before, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into 2015 and, and that entire season, but 2014 to me, and I, I, I remember I was at the last game of the season at City Field, which was against the Astros, if I recall correctly, and, um, Lucas due to his 30th home run. I believe that was when, um, that was Bobby Bray's final game. Like, he got a standing ovation that season. And to me, that end of the season, I left the stadium that day feeling like, you know what? They, they didn't, they didn't do it this year. They were under 500, even though they finished second in the division. They were under 500. Uh, but you kind of started to feel that this team was coming together and that there was, um, hope for the future. I mean, you know, Lucas Duda exploded that year. Um, 30 home runs, like I mentioned. Uh, obviously, Murphy was 
emerging as one of the best second basemen in the National League. Uh, and then obviously the pitching uh, between uh, DeGrom and uh, guys like Bartolo joining the organization and then Mejia and the bullpen, Familia uh, uh, coming coming forward. I just kind of had that sense that, you know, next year uh, this team could start to, to make some noise. And uh, they did. And we'll get into that. And, you know, that 2014 bullpen, um, extremely uh, under underrated in my eyes. Mejia... Carlos Torres, Familia, Vic Black, and Josh Edgen. Out of all of them, the highest ERA was Mejia at a 3.65. And, and that's, you know, those are your regulars. And you had guys like Kyle Farnsworth in there. Um, <laughs> Gonzalez Hermen, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm looking down <laughs> the list here. Uh, you know, that was the year that Jacob DeGrom really made a statement is, hey, you know, I am here to play. Uh, that's the year, of course, that Harvey was was on the shelf. Um, after that, just incredible. Actually, Harvey's rise in 2013 made my list. But <laughs> I was going to use him as an honorable mention because that was just magic, man. Like for for those of us who were just too young to remember what it felt like to have Dwight Gooden make a make a start at Shea Stadium, which is that's what I would fall into, or those of us who remember the excitement around Pedro or Johan at the stadium. That's what Harvey was like, man. It was just, it, it was, it was madness. He was a guy on top of his game. But, um, yeah, what a fun team that 2014 season was. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, I have R.A. Dickey's 2012 season as as my honorable mention because that was just, it, it was a shining moment in an otherwise dreary era for the Mets. Uh, I, we were at, I brought my mom to his 20th win when he sealed up the Cy Young that season. And, and you know, for a Thursday afternoon game, the place was like a party. It, was, it, it wasn't like a party. It was an absolute party. Like, the, the Mets, we were waiting all season for something to really cheer about. And it was, uh, and that was it. It was just, it was great. And this is the guy who turned a, uh, an infamously unpredictable pitch into, um, you know, into in, into a, a controlled pitch. He could do what he wanted with it. And it was, it was sorcery and it was amazing. It was great. But, uh, I, I always remember the, uh, the back to back one hitters, uh, against Tampa and Baltimore. Um, I mean, he was just untouchable. Uh, I mean, he, he was fantastic all season, but there was a stretch in there where he was just absolutely untouchable. And, and, uh, I was watching the highlights of that Baltimore game, uh, a few days ago or a week ago. Um, uh, I mean, he just made guys look absolutely uh, helpless at the plate and uh, certainly fun to – and I think someone responded to, to the video that I tweeted. Uh, like it, it was like watching your, your dad play baseball, but he was good. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that was kind of – that was the R.A. Dickey experience. And, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it hurt seeing him, uh, seeing him get traded away. Uh, you have to give it to Sandy Alderson. It, it, it was the right move considering what they, they got back and, and, uh, what, what Dickie ended up doing with the Blue Jays, which was maybe serviceable for, for a little bit, but, but ultimately he didn't really give them much. Um, so hats off to, uh, to Robert Allen Dickey for sure. Most definitely. All right. So let's get into our, uh, our, our real list here. Um, I'll go ahead and kick it right off. We were just talking about 2014, 2015. I'm sure it's on your list, right? Yep. 
All right, you go ahead and kick kick it off. What's what was so? Just take us through it. Well, what did 2015 mean to you? Well, considering it started um, with such a bang, uh, the the uh, 11 game win streak, if, if that if I recall the accuracy of that 11 game win streak in, in April. Uh, I mean, it was just an exciting time, and I remember uh, I I, uh, I said to my dad, you know, my dad is is my uh, my link to to rooting for the Mets, and he's the reason why why I got into it and everything. Um, you know, and we we watched all every game while they were struggling throughout the the early 2010s and and all of that. And I, I said to him during that 11 game win streak, I was like, Dad. They're they're gonna do it this year. They're gonna. I, I think I did say win the World Series, and uh, making the World Series is definitely a, an okay consolation prize, to say the least. But um, you know, and, and just how that season turned so poorly so quickly. I mean, the the lineups uh, in May and June, where John Mayberry Jr. was uh, hitting cleanup, and uh, Eric Campbell was getting run, Johnny Manel was getting run. Soup. Uh, yeah. Well, rest in peace. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that season it was just so so hard to watch uh, in the early summer, and then something I I don't know whether it was it was you know there was something supernatural regarding the the Flores trade that never happened um, or what, but when Cespedes came in and, and put the team on his back uh, and everything just clicked at the same time, um, and you know the the, the playoffs were. So much fun to, 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 to follow. And, um, you know, you mentioned people who are too young to remember, uh, Doc Gooden. How about people who are too young to remember even the 2000 World Series? Or, you know, I was six years old in 2006, the last time they had, uh, made the playoffs before then. Um, so I was, I was a sophomore in high school during the, the 2015 run into the playoffs. And it was just so much fun to come to school every day and, you know, Talk about the games with with my uh, Mets fan friends who are you know few and far between considering the uh, the Mets to Yankees ratio in in, in uh, New York City high school uh, high schools so um, just a, an amazing time and um, you know you remember the the 2015 NLDS if, if uh, Jacob Degrom didn't uh, step up on the biggest stage in the world we'd be we'd be having a different conversation you just you just went off in Game Five Noah Syndergaard coming out of the bullpen. Uh, and then Familia putting on the finishing touches in, in his uh, fantastic season. Of, and of course, the NL, NLCS was was unbelievable, um, just how they dismantled a really potent Cubs team. Um, you know, and I was really fortunate to to be able to attend um, three postseason games that year. And of course, the World Series didn't turn out like we hoped, um, especially considering they they had leads late in in all all five games. Um, but we don't have to go there. But um, it, was, <laughs> it was an amazing time, and, and uh, you know, really one of those things where you had to really cherish every every moment of it, um, because you know, and as evidenced by the years after, times like that don't really come along too often. Yeah, and um, I'm glad that you, you you kind of spoke about it that way because I I have you know mine kind of leads from one moment to another and then to another. So um, just like you, uh, and actually there is a little synchronicity there. I was a junior in high school in 2000 
for the Mets Yankees World Series. And it, just like you, we were heavily outnumbered by Yankees fans at the time. We're in the middle of a dynasty. And, yep. uh, but at, at, just like you, um, my father tied me into baseball, um, at a very young age. And, uh, just like you, watched all the, all the games with him whenever I could. Um, in 2012, of course, Johan Santana, uh, threw the first Mets no hitter. Yeah, through the first no hitter in, in franchise history. Uh, I got to watch that whole game at the kitchen table with my dad. Uh, he wouldn't let me move, couldn't get up to go to the bathroom, couldn't get a drink, nothing. And then it happened, and then we refused to leave the table. But, uh, <laughs> and that was for many hours. But, um, 2014, opening day outside of City Field, uh, he informed my brother and I that he was, uh, he's diagnosed with cancer. Um, by opening day 2015, he, he had passed away. Uh, actually, just March, just before it. So uh, 2015 was a very, very special year. Um, you know, of course, watching Mets games or even thinking about the Mets at the time was, you know, uh, a challenge in itself considering how tied into my father this team was. But, um, you know, that season, uh, you talk about something supernatural coming into a play and, um, you know, at the time when the team was coming together and at the time when Terry Collins was, uh, your feet weren't just held to the fire. Feet were in the fire because everything was falling apart. Things kind of just, um, it came into place and it was everything. It was Flores. It was Cespedes. It was the sense of, um, something bigger at play. Uh, whether it was history, whether it was the team coming together, it was everything. And, you could feel it happening as it was happening, just as fans. It was so, so special. And, you know, it, it, it was therapeutic for, for, at least for my family. We we're going through so much at the time. Um, you know, my father was 57 years old. He was a young man. Um, it was, uh, it was magical. It, it was, and excuse my language, it was fucking amazing. It, there was <laughs> nothing like it in the world. And uh, even at the time, that night when the World Series ended, I smiled. I said, what a fantastic ride. Um, came up short. Whatever. I shrugged my shoulders. And it's sure, we were very close to making that thing, making that series completely different. And the, mo- the momentum they came into that series with and Murphy and um, everybody contributing and everything just falling our, our way. It felt like 2006. It felt like 1969. It felt like 19, you know, it felt like all of this wrapped into one. It was uh it was a magical year, and I think that most certainly defines the decade for, for at least myself, for, for lots of Mets fans. and um, Yeah, that was it, man. And the no-hitter yeah. is certainly a big number two for me. But uh, Yeah, I mean, those, those moments where life and baseball intersect are just so beautiful, even, you know, in the face of, of tragedy like, like you endured, um, just how sports are able to – get us through it and um we're, we're able to connect you know moments in Mets history to to moments uh in, in our own lives um it's really it's really a beautiful thing yeah i mean that's how a lot of us as fans that's that's what this team means to us our lives kind of intertwine with the history of the ball club and of course it's to a higher extent for more you know, I don't want to say more hardcore fans, but, you know, there are people who live and die by this by this club. And 
you know, when the Wilpons are sitting in their office all grumpy because, oh, the, the fan base hates us. And, of course, that's just a characterization. Characterization. I don't know if they really care. But um, it's it's because we, you know, it's because we feel so tied to this organization. And it's because of these personal moments that, you know, there's such a bond between us and this team and the players and the history. And um, that's why we get so upset. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, yeah. and that's why that's why the good times are so good because yeah. Oh my god, dude! When this team wins a World Series, I'm gonna cry like a baby, I, and I can't <laughs> wait for it. I cannot wait. Yeah. But uh, do you have any other any other moments? Because I feel yeah, like we I spent mean, a lot of time on 2015. I'm sorry. No, I mean it's <laughs> worth, it's absolutely uh, worth the the time that we spend on it. But um, <laughs> you know, speaking of of moments that uh, bring bring life and baseball together. Um, believe it was September, believe it was September 28th, uh, 2018. Um, uh, was the final game in, uh, David Wright's career. Uh, and, you know, I grew up watching him from a, a very young age. He, he was there my whole life. Um, that were my whole baseball life. Um, and I was able to, Get tickets, thanks to, to my to my dad. My my my, uh, my parents took me to that game. I came back from school. I, I was it was my first month up at college, and and uh, we came back, or I came back to uh, to go to that game, and uh, you know got there early, and, and we're in our seats, and it feels like everyone was at that time, and uh, just to to pay our respects to the captain uh, one last time, and you know I remember when uh, Wright signed his contract extension. I believe it was it prior to 2012 or, or after 2012, um, either before or after that season, uh, when he signed his contract extension, I, I said to my dad, like, man, Wright's still going to be playing when I'm in college because uh, he was signed through the, the 2020 season. And I was, I guess, in sixth or seventh grade at the time, and it was kind of hard to, to even imagine something like that. And it ended up being his, his last game. He ended up coming back to to play one game while I was in college or two games, the pinch hit uh, the night before. And, uh, he almost didn't make it there, but he, but he did. Uh, and just to be able to share that with my father and, you know, we were watching David Wright play when I was six years old. Um, and, and, uh, to be able to see him when I was, uh, 18 was, was really special. And, and of course, um, you know, that, that they were able to put Jose Reyes at that short next to him, you know, obviously he, didn't really find himself in the good graces of, of, of Mets fans towards the end of his career, Reyes, but uh, he, he was my favorite player growing up, and, and to see Wright and Reyes on the left side of the infield uh, one more time was uh, really really special for me that whole night. Oh, it was emotional for, for I think, everybody in attendance, everybody at home. Um, I know I, we all had seats, but there was a group of maybe 10 of us, um, Lots of very, very, very good friends from Twitter and people just meeting for the first night. Just, you know, uh, and we never left the, the Pepsi. Well, it was the Pepsi porch at the time or the Coca-Cola corner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we never left. We stayed there the whole night. And, you know, throughout all the proceedings, like you saw, you know, people publicly and, and not even ashamedly just outpouring of emotions. It was beautiful. It was great. Um, David Wright is... I was, you know, I graduated high school the same year as David Wright. So this is someone that I watched 
go from a prospect and oh look cool yeah I'm I'm growing up because now ball players are the same age as me so now ball players are retiring and granted it was very young but um it it put perspective on you know on, on all of our lives like holy shit this guy's my age and you know something that he put all of his life into is is now over for him and um he's making the best of it and it was uh it, it was you know it, it's bittersweet because you know that he was on a trajectory to do wonderful things in this game and uh, even more wonderful than he did and um you know i think that emotion that that i saw you know and, and it, it came out of me it came out of everybody um you know it's a happy for the guy that hey you made it out but like I know he doesn't feel sorry for himself, and I don't think we per se feel sorry for him. But boy, that's a, um, that's a tough pill to swallow. And even just as fans who are so uh, invested in in, in the, the team they love and the players they they root for, um, you know, we I guess we kind of felt that pain with him because that that must have been the hardest thing he'd ever done. And that's speculation, of course, but just from an outside perspective, you're walking away from you know, your career, the thing you love. And granted, he's going into the arms of his family, and that's very – that's great. That's the silver lining in all this. But, um, yeah, what a, what an emotional evening. That was on my list too. And, uh, yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, I do have a minor one, and it's not minor because, boy, the guy, he, he, he really did his thing, uh, and he's, he's off on his way now. But the, the resurgence of Zach Wheeler um, – and that really struck a chord with me as a fan. You know, this guy was, you know, number one draft pick. Well, not overall, but you know what I mean. Um, so much hype behind him. So many injuries and so much adversity. Uh, you know, the guy made it back. and He pulled a 180 like you don't really see in professional sports coming back from injuries to, 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 to get that, you know, to reach that pinnacle. And, you know, he, maybe he hasn't had that full season of, of, of elite performance, but boy, he's had some extended flashes and, and now he's got the, um, he's got the paycheck to, to back it up and, or, or I should say the, uh, you know, the salary to back it up. And boy, I just, I couldn't, as a fan, I couldn't be prouder. I couldn't be happier for him. Just, I think that was a, a very, very underlying feel good storyline of pretty much, you know, half a decade. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just the way the whole rotation ended up coming together um, between Harvey coming up first, then Wheeler, uh, then DeGrom, then Syndergaard and Mats. Um, and, you know, they never quite had the, the sustained success as a as a fivesome, um, but uh, certainly lots, lots of fun to watch those guys over the, the entire decade, for sure. Um, I want to end... Uh, my list on a lighthearted note. Um, it's the game I will never forget. Uh, June 8th, 2013. Um, Mets Marlins at City Field. Uh, I'm really excited to go to this game. It was, uh, Matt Harvey in the, the midst of his, his prime against obviously the late great Jose Fernandez. Um, and on the train, it, this is just a story that always sticks out. To me, when I think about this day on the train to that game, um, someone asked me and my father on the seven train asked me who was starting for the Mets that 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 day. We said Matt Harvey, and someone you know who was sitting within earshot um, 
said, no, no, I think it's Sean Markham. Sean Markham's pitching today. This guy was convinced that Markham was pitching. Obviously, he wasn't. Um, but, so Harvey was pitching that game, and, of course, that, that game ended up going 20 innings, and Sean Markham ended up pitching eight innings in relief, which was more than Harvey, the starter himself, threw. Uh, he threw seven. So, uh, Markham, this guy was convinced that he was starting the game, and Markham ended up pitching basically uh, a start's worth of innings himself. Um, and, and that was just kind of the, the craziest, longest, most futile game I had ever been to. Um, and of course, the, uh, the game ended in the, in the 20th when, uh, future Matt Danny Hechevarria came through with a, an RBI single <laughs> off Sean, Sean Markham <laughs> to, uh, to, to clinch the, the win. Um, and, you know, now every time I, I see a, a, a game, and I believe, cause I believe that's still the most recent, uh, well, or, you know, it's the, there have been games longer in Major League history, but that's the most recent 20 inning game. Um, <laughs> and every time uh, I see a Major League game start to creep up 15, 16, uh, innings, I believe the Mets, I think it was in St. Louis uh, a few years ago, uh, played 18. Um, so every time a game starts to get up into the high teens, I start to, get a little nervous because I like to say I was at the most recent 20 inning major league game and then you know it kind of ties in um you know obviously uh many many of our, our Mets Twitter friends know that I, I've been covering the Brooklyn Cyclones uh for the last few years which started in 2016 and opening day 2016 first game I ever covered in professional baseball um you know it was obviously something that I hoped and still hope to, to do as a as a full-time thing, you know, as a career. Um, so the first game I ever covered was opening day 2016 for the Brooklyn Cyclones. That game ended up going 20 innings. Uh, so it's, great. it's uh, certainly something special to say. I've been to, to a pair of 20 inning games and I'll, and I'll never forget that one in, uh, in 2013 with the Mets. 20 innings of a, uh, of a 1-1 deadlock <laughs> that, that finished 2-1 Marlins. Unreal. And the, the Markham guy, the, you know, Mets legend to Danny Hecabria, that, that's a good one, man. Oh, that's a, that was out of left field, but that, that was a good one. <laughs> that's very nice. I, I think we've touched all our bases this week, man. Yeah. Um, I, this is the last episode of 2019, of course. So, uh, thanks to everyone who came on this year. Thanks to everyone who listened this year. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to keep the fun going in 2020. I think the Mets have a chance to make it a very, very, very fun 2020 season. And, you know, stick around. We'll figure it out. Uh, Jacob, anything coming out on your end? When do you go back to school? Uh, I'm home through most of January, and then uh, and then we're going back up to, to lovely Connecticut. Um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to uh, pump out some, some good content in the meantime, um, working on a, a minor league series, uh, which should uh, – should be fun for uh, for everyone. Lots of stats and video, and uh, should be a good time. So, uh, you know, happy happy uh, happy holidays and, and happy New Year to to everyone listening, and especially to you, Tim. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun uh, doing this podcast over the last few months. Oh, this has been great, man. I think you know, I, I personally, I'm having a blast. Um, everyone who's been on you yourself, I mean, the the beat writers have come on, Jared Diamond, Mike Mayer, Mets Daddy. I could go down the list. Meek Phil. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> I know I'm missing people too, but um well really just it the uh the support and the um 
you know, the fun that's been had, it's, it's, it's really, it's been a blast. And, uh, yes, happy holidays, happy new year. Let's go Mets. And we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.